right, folks, welcome back into another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Really excited about the show here this evening. We got a special guest joining us here tonight. Good to see Jeremy and Randall. But our guest this evening, Matt Clapp. If you are a Cubs fan and you are active on Twitter, this guy is a must follow. You can find him at the blog finds. He's also a managing editor with the comeback. He's a writer and editor with awful announcing. And Matt, we're really excited to have you joining us here tonight. So appreciate your time this evening. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. Uh, and I mean it at the beginning there. If you're a Cubs fan listening to this podcast and you're not following Matt, one, what are you doing? And two, where have you been? Because you've been on this beat, man, for a long time. You've been covering this team. I feel like uh, at least a decade or so I've seen your name popping up. And we really wanted to talk to you today about uh, the trade deadline. That's obviously top of mind. We want to get your thoughts on the draft and really just your overall feeling on where the Chicago Cubs are today as an organization as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Uh, but something we like to start with all of our guests with is like, what's your story here as a Cubs fan? We all come from different places. You've lived in different parts of the country. How did you end up cheering for the same team that we love? Yeah, so I've lived all over the place, but, uh, you know, I lived in the Chicago area for a few years as a kid and my mom's whole side of the family's from there. So like most of my childhood, like summers, Christmases, everything were spent in Chicago. Uh, you know, and I just like so many people uh, having WGN and everything across the country had me watching the Cubs, you know, as early as like a five, six year old in the, the late 80s. And, uh, you know, Harry Carey and everything in the 1989 team really got me into it. And yeah, I mean, I was I was like obsessed with Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg and, you know, all those guys growing up. Yep. Matt, we are we're fortunate enough to have uh, Alexander Hall of Cubs weather on the pod with us occasionally. And his story is pretty similar. He lived in the Chicago area a little later in life, but he he lived here for a few years and it's like Wrigley and the Cubs just kind of pulled him in. It feels like people, uh, they don't really have a choice in the matter. Sometimes you see the Cubs and you see Wrigley once and you're, you're, you're hooked forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you pick a good one there with Dawson. Jeremy's dog is Dawson. This is a dog podcast, awesome. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got Huxley. Uh, Randall. R Randall takes care of the Randall dog. Needs a dog. Yeah, yeah. Randall needs, needs a dog. Here. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but Dawson, I, I am a great choice. I am already an animal that needs food and looking after. I do not need another animal that needs food and looking after. You know, <laughs> You know, you got a couple of years on us. Our our fandom sort of really kicked into gear in the mid-90s or so. I mean, Jeremy and I really think of, you know, you look at the 89 team. I mean, we saw some bad teams in the mid-90s, but it was that awful start in 97 and then Sammy and Kerry and the wild card team in 98 that for us, I mean, that was just the thing that put it over the top. Um, I think about it for you, like Wrigley Field, late 80s, that's just perfect. The ballpark looked great. Just a couple of night games every year. Harry and Stone. I mean, that's, that is classic Cubs baseball. Uh, no wonder it got into your blood there. Yeah, absolutely. That, like you said, the, I mean, like you brought up the 98 team. I mean, that was probably as much fun as I've had as a baseball fan, aside from 2016, I guess. But I mean, yeah. like, cause that team had been so bad, you know, aside from having, they always had some fun players, but it was just otherwise a mostly bad baseball team. And then 1998 came along and Sammy in the home run chase and Kerry yeah. Wood, just an amazing rookie in the 20 strikeout game. And like, it felt like that season felt just like, you know, going to the NLCS or something does now, you know what I mean? Just because it was like so out of nowhere for where the Cubs were at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a question. Do you have any uh, specific like favorite Wrigley memories of being at Wrigley field, whether growing up or even older or like, what's your uh, favorite time at Wrigley? Oh God, that's, that's a tough one. I, I'll, I'll tell you my very worst time. Oh, that, that works too. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start with that. <laughs> worst time. That would be uh, game six of the 2003 NLCS. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to, I was actually going to college at Colorado state university and I got pretty expensive tickets. I flew in like that day. Uh, we, we were for sure that that was going to be the day. And I was like Mark yeah. Pryor versus Carl Pavano. And I was like, I gotta, you know, be there. And yeah. Uh, that was just like a funeral, you know? Um, and then I had to go all the way back to school. I had to fly back out and take like a midterm the next morning. So it was just like the worst couple of days after I put so much effort into it. Um, yeah. How did you do on the midterm? Uh, not well. <laughs> I remember I did not do well. Yeah, I was in a rooftop for game seven. And uh, I remember when Kerry Wood hit the homer and the whole place was going crazy. 
And that was like the greatest moment. And then Moises Alou hit the other homer and then everything just fell apart. And Went I was like, I was pretty kind of, even though we they lost, I was still like, so, oh my, 2004, we got this. But yeah, uh, it absolutely. didn't work out that way. I, I tweeted about that last night, actually. Somebody brought up the 2004 season and I was like, that might be the biggest letdown. Um, yeah. I mean, because that roster was like, like all-star Hall of Famer types up and down. And you just thought they were just going to keep trending upward from 2003. And they still won 89 games, but the way it finished and just like the expectations, like it felt like they were like a, a 70 win team, yeah. you know, just with how much they broke our hearts and everything. Right. They yeah. won, they won more games that year than they did in 03. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and uh, Ronan and I, we were at the game, basically their last win when they were still in playoff contention. And then they ended the season going like zero for six and, uh, <laughs> Boxed out of the wild card, then won on the final day of the season when they were already eliminated. Yeah, yeah. Then a lot of a lot of Cub fans can probably say they were at the last game where a, a given season's team was in contention. If and if that yeah. last game was in is in September, you've fared better in that season than you have in a lot a lot of other seasons. Yeah, no, that's Absolutely. true, man. But but that was a. a gut-wrenching end to the 2004 season and then 05 was a mess so six was a mess and finally in 2007 there was a little bit of life there uh you talked about the 98 team i mean that 08 team is certainly oh, yeah. one of the best cubs teams that we've ever seen and it just sort of grinded into a halt there in the playoffs that that breaks your heart too but that's part oh, yeah. of being a cub fan right i, I think that 08 team may be as good as any like non-2016 yeah. team they've had uh in the last whatever a long time um i mean that lineup was like 800 plus OPS is up and down and power arms. And uh, I mean, like Rich Harden, uh, I was talking yeah. to Rich Harden last night. I mean, he was almost as good as CC, like ERA, ERA wise and everything in the second half. Like he was everything they traded for. And ugh, the team just like forgot how to play baseball immediately when the postseason. That that was like that, like six months following that, I like yeah. turned full meatball and was like, okay, maybe <laughs> this team is cursed. You know what I mean? Like, I just like, became a, you know, a total meatball fan and was really worried that this is just never going to get better. I know that Ronan and I were actually at Rich Harden's Cubs debut. That's right. He struck out 10 in five and a third innings. Carlos Marmol blew it and the, the Cubs <laughs> managed to walk it off in extra. So that the game turned out to be a little more prophetic than perhaps we might've yeah. liked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 08 was a heartbreaker because you're absolutely right. That team was, was tremendous. Um, before we get to this current team and, and into the trade deadline here, you spent many years in the Denver area. I'm the member of the pod here. Uh, look out the window here in front of the house can just about see Coors Field out there. Do you have a distinct Cubs moment in Denver? Like for, for folks that aren't local here, Cubs coming to Denver is kind of a big deal because there's a lot of Midwest transplants and Chicago folks here. Those games fill up. Did you have any one memory at one of those ball games that stands out to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have a couple of great ones there. I went to Javi Baez's debut series. Awesome. So I, I was there for the first game where he hit that like homer, I think, in extras to right field. Yep. And then uh, I went, I didn't go to game two and he didn't really do anything, I think, that game. But I went to game three and he hit two homers that were like right where I was down the left field line, too. Awesome. I mean, I basically, that was when they were starting to become kind of fun, but the reason I wanted to go was Javi. So like seeing yeah. him come through is just like so cool. Um, but I mean, I've seen a lot of games there. I've seen Sammy hit some crazy homers. <laughs> Bat batting practice at Coors Field in like <laughs> steroid era was just like, I mean, everything was like going up to the concourse and Jumbotron, like nothing. It was just insane. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good stuff in there. You know, I was actually also at that Javi debut game. Okay. That was the year before I moved to Denver. And I was coming out here just sort of, is this a place I want to live? And the way it lined up, I had a, a concert in Boulder one night and I was free for the Javi game. And I was there a little bit behind the Cubs dugout. That night was memorable. I mean, you know, anytime you see the first home run of a guy who ends up being a World Series hero, that's going to stick with you forever. But for me, that trip also was like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. And uh, a little more than a year later, I was here and I've been here since. So kind of cool how, you know, we were both out there at that one. Um, let's look at this current roster, though, because this is a really interesting time for the Cubs. Um, Randall had him at 90 wins coming into the year. Jeremy and I a little bit more pessimistic. And to be fair, Randall was just trying to be the optimist. So our show wasn't just yeah. totally negative. 
coming into and, this. And to be additionally fair, I could not in good conscience bring myself to pick one of Milwaukee <laughs> or St. Louis to win the division. At, at some point, even saying that just becomes odious. And I, I, prefaced, <laughs> I prefaced it by saying that when I said it. But, you know, here we are, late July. They're 17 under. They're 14 back. Obviously selling here at the trade deadline. Uh, minor leagues have become, like, must-watch baseball here for Cubs fans. Overall, Matt, how are you feeling right now about just the direction, the organization, maybe where the franchise is today versus where they were a year or even two years ago? Yeah, so I'm probably a bit more optimistic than most of the fan base is right now. Uh, I mean, I can't – like, it's, it just sucks when – all of your stars are constantly being traded and you're like, when are we ever going to be the team signing these guys? When are we going to be adding on to these guys? So like, I wouldn't tell anybody how to be a fan or anything or this and that, but uh, I do think that the farm system right now is deeper than it's been. Um, I mean, I think depth wise, it's even better than the last big run. It's just that we still don't know if they have the Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Jorge Soler, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo types, you know what I mean? Like, we hope that Brennan Davis, Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, you know, Caleb Killian, Christian Hernandez, Kevin Alcantara, we hope some of those guys can maybe be that. Or maybe you trade some of these guys for something cool, you know. Um, so I think that they've, they're really, really, uh, really reloading the farm system and putting that in a good place. And, uh, you know, they're going to keep doing that in this next week. Uh, but I, part of it is predicated on me assuming that they're going to start spending money this yeah. winter. And if we're at a point where they're not doing that and they're not really, you know, trending upward, then I'm going to turn into a meatball fan again. And <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, what are we doing here? Because this should be the last time you're really tanking. Yeah. Like even the lottery rules don't reward. You can't like, you know, get in the lottery multiple years in a row and all that stuff. And uh, I think, like I said, I think that the farm depth is already going to be good enough where it's like, okay, let's go now. Let's actually go get good players and you know hopefully the farm system starts aligning with those players or like i said maybe use them to trade for a cost controlled pitcher or another position player like i'm cool with it right now i guess so to speak as much as i hate it like i'm not like celebrating trading wilson Contreras yeah. and maybe Ian Happ or whatever but uh i at least see the apparent plan and think that like jed wants a great team that's going to be good for many years not just a team that can be kind of good and kind of entertaining you know what i mean like yeah uh i think a lot of this is as much his choice as it is the resources but that's just that's my guess i don't know like i don't think the rickets are probably doing enough as they should be either way but i do think some of this is jed building and how he wants to build it and just kind of reloading everything and like you know aligning a timeline and then hopefully pouncing like if yeah. we're if we're not doing anything in the winter then i'm going to be like okay what the heck are we doing here you know what i mean so yeah. totally yeah, that was kind of your. I had a question, uh, and you're kind of getting to it at the end there. Um, I was going to ask you how, how, like, how are you feeling specifically about Jed Hoyer because he he's had to be kind of the face of this thing, and whether or not you think it's him doing it or it's just he's had to do it. Um, you know, he's taken over for Theo who, who walked out, and so you know he's the guy who has to who or either has to or is choosing to trade you know all the star players. So how are you feeling about Jed and and what he's done and what you know, you think maybe possibly his plan is. Yeah. So he's been very cutthroat and just, he clearly doesn't really give a damn. I think what anybody thinks or, you know, he's doing it his way. Like I think he and Theo even said that they disagreed on some things, you know, about how they went about some things. And Jed has also talked about how, like, I think he's had this slip a couple of times. How he thinks maybe they even waited a little too long to trade the core. Not even yeah, that he has, they should he has have kept them. That. He's like, we should have done it sooner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which uh, like, yeah, I think he clearly is, has, he's like, he just clearly didn't think those guys were worth investing in at this point, or at least players like going into their thirties or something, you know, I don't know, but uh, like, he clearly has his very set plan of how he wants to do this. And like I said, if they're not doing a lot more in the next year, then I'm really going to be questioning it right now. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think he's just trying to like load up this farm and get as much financial flexibility and all that. But uh, it's definitely a to-be-determined thing. And, I mean, you can't say he's doing a good job yet, right? I mean, <laughs> like, we don't know that for sure, but we also don't know if he's doing a bad job. So I think that, like, a year from now, I think we'll have a much better read on that. Yeah, I remember, I think when they were, you know, when the transition was coming, they were they were saying, like, Jed, even Theo, I think, said, like, Jed is way more disciplined than I. Like, I 
kind of sometimes get lost in, you know, the emotion and like the way I feel. And Jed's just kind of like, he's on the discipline and much more analytically inclined and he's just going to do what he thinks. So yeah, it seems like he's way more cutthroat than Theo is. Yes. He clearly doesn't really care as much about sentimentality and all that stuff is the business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how a lot of the front offices are. Like that's not just a Cubs centric thing. Um, But yeah, you, you obviously want to be able to, see your favorite players as long as you can and keep your stars like that's that's supposed to be the point of it and the business side really really sucks and he clearly is not afraid to you know handle the business side over the sentimental side Mm -hmm. and that leads us into where we're at today where you talk about an emotional day at wrigley field yesterday just the imagery of ian happ and wilson embracing in the dugout at the end of the game i mean 30 plus thousand people on a tuesday afternoon for a cubs pirates game those two awful teams it was an emotional day at the ballpark yesterday and we all know wilson's the guy that's going to be moved here we'll get to ian happ in a minute um wilson might be the most attractive batter in general available at the deadline here Uh, what should fans be expecting here in terms of a potential return or what teams have your attention that could be a good landing spot for wilson yeah that's they're both really hard to say i think because first of all there's been these reports that some teams are worried about adding a catcher in season to handle staff and everything you know and uh like wilson has really good tools back there but there have always been questions about his like game calling and you know, I, I like some of the Cubs pitchers have much better ERAs with Jan Gomes catching than Wilson. Like there's just some things that I think might have some teams wondering about adding that guy with two months to go in the regular season. You know what I mean? So I think the main thing is going to be the bat and um, like, you know, having it from catcher is great too. So maybe they view it that way, but it's going to be as much like the DH and everything, I think too, as much as his actual catching ability but he's been a great hitter. So he might, like you said, he might be the best bat out there. So like, whatever, he should still get a pretty good return. Um, I think if, if you were only trading him and not a package deal, you would be, I would, I would be hoping something similar to like what they got back for like, you know, like a Kevin Alcantara or something like last year. Um, Not necessarily what he is now, but like how he was viewed at the time. You know what I mean? Like you're hoping to maybe get like a, like a top 100 ish prospect, uh, like a 50 future value kind of prospect um i don't know if they'll get that for sure but you're at least hoping to get somebody with that kind of upside you know somebody that could be that because like i said i think their depth is great you should be aiming for high upside and potential stars i would rather like i would rather have like one kevin o'contra pete crow armstrong this time around than like six greg dykemans or something like last year nothing against him but you know what i mean like uh I would rather try to get a star than a few potential major leaguers. You know what I mean? Matt, you mentioned the buzz potentially about teams viewing Contreras more as a DH versus a catcher concerns about bringing a new catcher midseason. Do you personally put any stock in that, that teams are going to try and come (laughs) in with lower offers for Wilson Contreras treating him as a bat rather than a defensive catcher? Or do you think that's, I guess, smoke, from the, the yeah, quote-unquote rival some... executives, the ghost rival executives trying <laughs> yeah, it, to drive down that price. It could absolutely be us to drive down the price. Like, uh, that's an easy way to do it and a believable way to do it. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if it's a big thing. I I don't know. Like you said, they, they do lots of sneaky things to try to do anything that kind of lower the price. And, yeah, that would be one that makes a lot of sense. But I don't know if it's actually true or would be a big thing. I mean some of these teams don't have very good catchers. So is he really going to hurt them that much, you know, by doing it? So I I don't know. That might be a team by team basis. There probably are a couple of teams that really are worried about that, but like league wide, and there's going to be a lot of teams that would take that bat. If not caring about the catcher part. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a huge thing. Yeah. And I, 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 well, I think for Wilson, first of all, that he's definitely improved a ton back there. Like when he first came up, it seemed like he was moving all around when he was catching. But I, I, you uh, mentioned, uh, you know, going for kind of high upside guys. And I feel like that's something for the most part, Jed has tried to do getting all these young guys because teams are so stingy nowadays with their top prospects that, you know, you want to get these young guys. But I, I was going to ask, how do you feel about like packaging kind of players, Wilson Contreras and maybe Ian Happ or David Robinson or something, as opposed to, you know, separating them all in separate trades? Because I, I feel like Jed has said he prefers to 
to keep them separate, but we saw last year with like Javi and Trevor Williams going to New York and for Picar Armstrong. So uh, I, I'm just curious how you feel about that. Yeah, I would like to do it for at least one deal because I think that you can get a little bit, you know, if it's just even increasing the prospect a little bit, that sounds really good to me. And especially if you're talking about like uh, one of the pitchers maybe being included, like you said, like Trevor Williams last year, maybe Drew Smiley or now even Wade Miley, My, uh, Wade Miley is being talked about as having a rehab start coming up, or maybe that's a spot to use Chris Martin or Michael Givens or David Robinson or David Robertson. So uh, yeah, I, that's something that definitely interests me if it can get you a good prospect versus like, I'd, like I said, I'd rather do the quality than the quantity where, uh, you know, style of this. And that definitely helps those chances. And we'll see how creative the front office gets here with that. Uh, one kind of final thought on Wilson and then a couple other players want to pick your brain on. Doesn't this suck though, as a baseball fan, like, okay, Wilson turns 31 next year. We all kind of anticipate this window for the Cubs is probably not going to start next year, but maybe 2024 to be realistic. And then 2025, 2026, you think, man, these could be some very, very good top to bottom teams. But now you got a guy like Wilson who everybody loves him. He said all the right things about wanting to stay in Chicago. Uh, you've gotten all the stories this year about him mentoring the younger players and for whatever value that is, like the fact that he's the team guy. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. But the right move for the Cubs here is to move him. And it's like that line between the business side and the winning side uh, tugs at your heart, I think, as a baseball fan. Yeah, like it feels really stupid to be in the situation. You know what I mean? Like this is a guy that's toiled away 13 years in this organization, you know, blood, tears, everything. Like he's put everything in this organization. I like the post-game celebration. The thing that stands up most to me still is when he was like crying in the locker room and going on about how much he loves um, the city of Chicago and everything after winning the title. And like, that's just how he is all the time. And he, he's just so grateful of this and he's an all-star player and you know, that should be the kind of guy that you want to keep around. Right. Like, but this is the business and he's going to command a 80 to a hundred plus million dollar contract and deserves it. Um, and I don't know if it's that they don't necessarily want that player as much as I think Jed, first of all, wants to keep loading up prospects one, I hope last time. <laughs> um, and then yeah. he wants to have the flexibility to sign whoever he wants this off season. I hope, like I said, like, I hope, I hope if they're, they're not, not, not signing an extension of him now or in half, whatever, that they're instead maybe going after a Carlos Correa or Xander Bogart. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, at least spending the same kind of money and hopefully more on similar talents. And I would hope that Wilson then is still a possibility there too, but you know, we know how it is where these things sometimes are hard to, maintain that relationship but he does seem like a guy that would genuinely like to be back potentially yeah. you know if you paid him fairly so I would not close that door but yeah I mean the whole thing just it sucks like it shouldn't have to be like this <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah it's it's just so once you draft some player bring up some player it's like that you should be able to hope that that guy is with your franchise for a long long time in these days it's like all right let's just keep him until free agency and then we'll see where we're at and yeah that's just it's lame, but that is the business. And, you know, everybody does it sadly. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I know people are real optimistic that Wilson would consider re-signing here. And I think Wilson is emotionally deep seated enough on a number of levels that he might actually consider it. I just feel like every time a guy is traded away, it, he, he gets an experience. He's not anticipating what it's like to be, to play for another team, what it's like to, have multiple suitors who want to bring you in. You know, John Lester traded away by the Red Sox. I know there was some talk that he'd consider going back there. And then he gets in Oakland and he says as much that he he really, for the first time, learned what it was like to play somewhere, somewhere else. And that's, of course, how he ended up on the Cubs. So honestly, as soon as a guy leaves, my expectation is he's just going to find that he can't really come back just because he wants to try someplace new. So honestly, I'm, I'm prepared to say goodbye to Wilson forever. Again, Wilson's built different. He might be the, the exception to the rule, and I hope he is. But once he's, once he's gone, I, I kind of anticipate that he's, he's gone forever. Don't yeah, speak I mean, on that's... Jason Hamill, Randall. Well, you know, yeah, Jason Hamill, again, the exception that proves the rule. Uh, you know, Jason Hamill, not quite your your top line free agent. No, no disrespect to Jason Hamill. Great fifth starter for a World yeah. Series winning team. Oh, but yeah. But I, I agree with your point, though. Like, I, 
I certainly wouldn't expect him back. But I, you know, maybe if it's a situation where he's not getting the offers he hoped for, and I hope he does, um, and the Cubs, whatever they're planning on doing, falls through, maybe then they go back to him. But yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would assume that he's not coming back, but we'll see. What about Ian Happ, Matt? You, you mentioned Ian a minute ago. Uh, we're recording this the night of July 27th. A lot can change here before the deadline in a couple of days. But tonight, if, if you were a betting man, you think Ian Happ is a Cub into August or no? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that it's less than 50% he's traded. And now I would say it's at least slightly higher than that. Like, there's just so much smoke on this and, like, there was a report from, was it Jeff Passan or somebody said how like just about every contender wants him. Like all of a sudden when these reports start coming out and the interest starts getting bigger and there aren't that many great bats out there. And like, I just, I just have a feeling Jed's going to be like, all right, let's just clear this whole thing, do this prospect reloading. Like I said, and then hopefully you start trying next year. But um, I would have personally looked into trying to sign him to a, like an extension buying out a couple of years um, because like he's made so many good adjustments and I don't think that would end up being a bad contract at all. Uh, and he can help your next good team. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they're good by then. Um, but I guess if you don't really intend to sign him, this would be selling high. And my personal belief is that he should, if you're like talking about, individually the returns i would think he should get the highest return like i don't know if he will maybe wilson Contreras will maybe david robertson will i don't know but ian happ you have a whole another year of him you have potentially two postseasons of him yeah like he's just a really solid player uh literally an all-star player now um like i would only trade him if i'm getting something i feel really good about like you could if, if you are dead set on trading him, you could still do it in the winter. You could still do it next deadline. And who knows, maybe it helps you win a lot of games too. You know, uh, like I need to have it return. It's like, okay, this is much better than I'm going to get this winter or next year. And I feel that I got like a top prospect that can really help my next good team, but you should not just be trade. You should, he should not be being treated like a rental or something. Like yeah. he doesn't have to go, you know, and I feel like people are kind of talking that way and that wouldn't make sense to me. Like you have to be, you have to be sure that you're getting something really strong back in my opinion. How do you feel like how sustainable Ian Happ's, you know, progress is? Cause we've seen Ian Happ be the guy who's been like on fire the last two months of the season or whatever. And then also like last year at this time, he's betting like 191 or he had sent down to Iowa. There was talk of him even being, uh, you know, non-tendered last year at this time. So I'm just curious how you feel about like, is Ian Happ, is, is this Ian Happ that we're seeing this all-star level Ian Happ? Is that the real Ian Happ? And I, I'm just curious how you feel about that. Uh, I don't know if his like contact, contact rates and his right-handed hitting will stay quite as good as they are now. I hope so. But um, he's just kind of a different hitter. Like he's been, like, I think he's been uh, like a 125 to 130 WRC plus kind of hitter for like three of the last four years. It's just that those times he was doing it with more power and far more from the left side. And like now he's doing it as more like an average contacty guy and with great right-handed numbers. Like he's just hitting a lot of doubles and he's hitting fastballs more and stuff that I, like, I think he's a more well-rounded player right now, but will he like stay that exact way? I, I don't know. I would guess it's probably somewhere in between going forward, but he has a track record one way or another of being a really good hitter most of the time. So like you said, maybe he falls off like he did last year, but um, I don't know. I've been really impressed with his adjustments and I would bet on him to at least not be like, like if you sign him to some sort of extension for like buying out two years or something, I would think it would be unlikely that you'd be like, oh, what a bust or something. You know, like it's not going to be like a Jason Hayward situation or whatever. Like he's still going to be a solid baseball player. Just maybe leave you wanting a little more sometimes, you know, I don't know. Well, I'll say, you know, it's been really satisfying, though, seeing him put it together. We've all yes. been big Ian Happ guys for years. We've been cheering for him and pulling for him. And to see him just piece it all together, have this all-star campaign, it's just really satisfying. Because he's been, like, so easy to cheer for. It just hasn't really come together until this year. And um, now it's like, wow, we finally got the Ian Happ we've been waiting for. And he may not be a Cub next week, you know? Right. Yes, again, that's what sucks about this <laughs> whole business. Like, it's just... 
you should you should not be in a position where you're like, all right, we got a few years out of this guy. He got really good. And now we're giving him away. And like I said, I'm not I'm not necessarily against it, but it's just lame. Like it, yeah. sport pro sports shouldn't have to be that way, you know. And uh, like you said, it's he's starting to show everything that you're hoping for, and now we're ready to send him off. Well, like I said, it better be for something really, really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that you know, Ian. Like he's the guy that would make sense to me for an extension. He's only well, what, like 27, 20 years old. With most, and I could kind of understand. You could argue that, you know, he's not maybe his being a catcher, thirty-one going next year. Like he might not line up with the timeline to give a guy a hundred million dollars or whatever. And maybe like he's going to be declining by the time it comes. But Ian, he he's going to be through his prime. You would think during this year. I would. Mm-hmm. I just think that perhaps that like this is just his highest value. And Jed sees like, okay, this is. I don't like like I said last year years non-tender talk of him he's been like is Ian Happ ever going to be this good again I could just see Jed wanting to move him just because year and a half all-star level Ian Happ like that's going to be his highest value to ever move him oh yes that's like what he was talking about before with how he probably should have gotten rid of some of these guys sooner you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. maybe that's played into his thinking with that like you said and that's what Jed did with you Darvish Darvish coming off his Cy Young runner-up in the the shortened season and Darvish's value was probably never going to be higher. And that's when Jed uh, pounced on that. So, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't been the head of the front office for that long, but you can definitely kind of start to figure out what his MO is based on what he's done. And based on what he said he would have liked to do, it seems like Jed likes to try and get these guys out the door at the peak of their value, which it, it sucks for us as fans. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't even want to say you understand what he's doing, because when we're sad about losing Wilson or sad about losing half, we don't want to understand. We want to be right. sad. We want to be mad at the team. But you can at least start to parse out um, like what his M.O. is, what his plan is. And we are potentially seeing that develop with uh, Ian Happ the way we saw him do it with you, Darvish. It's a great point. Yes. Well, before we pivot over to pitching, I got one more uh, positional player question for you. The second tier or that next tier of players after a Wilson or a Hap, guys like Ortega, Wilson, I'm just sort of curious, Matt, what you think about, are there other pieces here that potentially could be moved? Like, is like, is there a market for Jan Gomes maybe as a potential trade piece here going into the deadline? Uh, on Gomes, I think that there would be, but I think that they kind of want him to maybe be their starting catcher, maybe even next year. Like I, I don't know their exact plan, but I think that's why they signed him was to, you know, have, well, for one, so, so that they could give Wilson more rest, I think too. Jed's talked about that, but I think that they thought that Jan could be a fine stopgap starting option. Should Wilson leave. Um, Then again, PJ Higgins has been great surprisingly. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some price where they're like, okay, we'll trade him. But uh, on Ortega, I think he's, he should absolutely be available. Um, he's fallen off pretty hard in the last month. He had a good, he had a homer the last game, which I think was the last game. That was good Mon- to see. Monday night. Okay. Yeah, Monday night. Um, like he's somebody that gives you professional at bats uh, and he can play all three outs, outfield spots. You don't really want him playing center field if you're trying to compete for titles probably, but he can do it. Um, and he's really solid against right-handed pitching. You know, like I said, he gives professional at bats. Uh, he's limited to that side though. So, yeah, I think he's available. Um, he's another guy, though, that you could just bring back next year if you don't really like what you're getting. So I think, again, you have to get something that you actually like instead of just dumping him off. Um, Patrick Wisdom might be the most interesting one to me on the entire team because, uh, <laughs> like, he could probably start for you for a couple more years, right? I mean, like, I don't know if he's going to keep – being this good, but he's basically been like the same kind of hitter now for two years. And like, he's going to strike out a lot. He's actually getting much better at that this year. Uh, but I mean, the guy just cranks dingers and pitchers make mistakes. Uh, and I don't know, like, I think he's a fine stopgap third baseman for a couple of years and maybe even first base if they want to put him there some. So like at the same time, I don't know if teams are really going to give up much for him. So it's like that whole balance of like, he should be very available, but is it worth trading him over how you could use him going forward? So I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I said, all, all those guys should be available. And I would guess at least 
I would guess at least a couple from this like half Ortega wisdom group that you're not sure of probably end up being traded, but we just don't really know for sure who. I'm very eager to see what they do here and, and what they end up pulling the trigger on in the next couple of days. Um, let's pivot over to the pitching side, though. There's a lot of arms. There's starters. There's relievers that potentially could be on the move for the Cubs here. You can throw a dart at any number of names pretty much in the bullpen and go, okay, that might be a viable option to be moved. Uh, do you think David Robertson is is sort of the peak there in terms of what they're going to be getting back? Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would look to trade him as soon as possible, honestly, yeah. just because – uh, I just worry with his age and his history. I mean, this is a guy that I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's hardly pitched the last like three years. Uh, his value could not get higher. Um, like I, I get wanting to increase bidders and wait for any kind of pack, package deals and everything, but I just feel like with each day you let him go out there, there's a lot of risk, you know? Mm. Um, so I would probably try to sell as soon as I could personally on him. Yeah, Monday Monday night and yesterday, I think Robertson and Ross both hinted that he was unavailable. Ross tries to pass it off as he pitched um, you know, two days in a row in the Philly series and they didn't want him pitching three days in a row. And then Robertson just kind of quietly says, yeah, I'm told I'm unavailable. It feels like we can all we can all read the writing on the wall yeah. there that they, they don't want to risk him injured or getting blown up as their best trade piece, uh, which is probably smart by the Cubs. There's absolutely no reason for David Robertson right. to pitch another inning for the Cubs. Nothing Absolutely. good comes of that. Absolutely. I mean, like wins are nice, but in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter right now. Uh, like, like I said, his value could, he could go out and strike out every hitter the rest of the way. I don't think it's not, it's going to really change his value much, yeah. but he could get hurt, you know, like he could get hurt or he could give up like five runs in an outing and people are like, wait a minute maybe he's kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing or, you know, like, I just don't think that there's really much to be gained by him pitching again. Yeah. Are you, are you a little surprised that something like that hasn't happened yet? Cause we talked, you talk about, you know, tra- trading, you want Robertson kind of be traded as soon as possible. Cause you never know what could happen, but historically the Cubs have always been kind of a team that kind of jumps the market, you know, with the Samarja trade, the Quintana trade last year with Jock Peterson was, you know, so are you surprised that the Cubs haven't actually done something yet or that market really had Vogelbach, I think, is like the only trade so far that nothing's really happened, and we're already like four days away. Yeah, well, I think a lot of a lot of that is to blame on the draft being yeah. late in July. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason I would like that to be in June. Uh, I think it slows everything down because teams. Jed talked about this last year. Even teams are so focused on scouting for the draft and all the signings and all that stuff, and you want to be able to like do every single piece of research you can do as a buyer or seller at the deadline. And I mean, it's not just that, but you want to be able to scout prospects or, you know, like you want to be able to deploy these people all over the country. And um, there's just so much that goes into it that I think everybody just kind of waits until that ends. And now we have this like two to three week period of everybody trying to gather all that information and it's hard, you know? Um, but I think ideally, you, like, like you suggested, ideally you would trade Robertson as soon as you can, as long as you feel that it's about as good as you're going to get, you know, like, I just feel like it's a risk waiting much longer personally. What other relievers are you looking at right now as viable trade chips here? Uh, Michael Givens has been great lately. And that's a guy that has a lot of high leverage experience. Um, Not necessarily for good teams in Baltimore, but you know, he's a, he's a guy that can get you a save or he can pitch anywhere from the sixth to, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Um, And he's a guy that always seems to outpitch, you know, the peripherals. And like, I just think he's really hard to hit. He's just a really tough look on righties. Uh, So I think that his ERA and stuff is pretty accurate. He's just a hard pitcher to hit. And uh, I think that just about any team would take him because you can use him in a number of ways. And I doubt he's crazy expensive. Like I would love to get a really nice prospect for him, but it's probably one that a good team can afford to part with. Um, And then I view Chris Martin personally, just about the same way. Like I know his ERA doesn't look good, but some of his under the hood numbers, like his like XFIP and stuff, they're like top five to 10 in baseball. Like the guy gets a lot of strikeouts this year. Um, He doesn't walk batters really ever historically. Uh, he's just had some rough like BAPIP and, you know, some of those, you know, under the radar nerdy numbers where I think that he's probably much better than his numbers say. And uh, like, while I 
Robertson seems like the best one out there. I'm not sure in reality if there's actually a big difference between him, Givens, and Martin. And I think that some teams might be willing to just go that route instead of giving up the higher prospect price for Robertson. We're a, we're a statistically inclined podcast. I'm pretty sure you're the first person to drop an XFIP on, uh, on our particular recorded airwaves. So you can take that distinction with you. <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, I, I'm just saying, because I see all these people on Twitter and stuff say like, oh, Martin sucks or, oh, yeah. there's like a 430 RA. And like these, with relievers, you got to look at more yeah. than that. And right. all it takes is one bad outing. Um, and he's just had a lot of bad luck, I think. Maybe he's maybe he's too much in the strike zone and gets hit hard sometimes, but like I don't think he's actually that bad. And we'll see. Yeah, imagine being the person who looks solely at someone's ERA and tries to paint them as a, a bad pitcher based on that, not to name names or anything. I, hashtag, I know where you're going. Hashtag take that. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I got I got one that's kind of about one of Randall's favorites. Um, on the on the subject of pitching, since we're talking about it. What, what do you, how do you feel about, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman in this category? It seems like that's something that Gordon Wittenmeyer is really trying to push. That yeah. The Cubs could be shopping Marcus Stroman. What, what do you think of Marcus Stroman as a trade piece? Yeah. So I've only seen Gordon and I think John Heyman, who John Heyman. Oh, that's another out. Randall's favorites. Uh, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're playing all the hits here. <laughs> yeah. John, John, I think is usually doing a lot of people favors with those two. Um, Not doing me any favors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so let's look at this from the Cubs perspective. I would not get that one really at all because I personally think he's exactly what you need to be trying to add one to two more of this off season. And again, if they aren't, I'm going to go full meatball, <laughs> um, but this is the exact guy you should want to be trying to win around the next two years, maybe even like an extra year and you can sign him again or whatever. But um, like I would really not get that. And the thing is he's making like what 20 something million dollars a year where uh, like the Cubs are unlikely to pay that in a trade, I would think. Right. And if you're the team acquiring him and paying that, you're not going to give up good prospects. Right. Because you could have also just signed him for that contract in the off season if you wanted him that much. Um, I just, I don't really see a realistic scenario where that lines up. So yeah, I personally am not considering that one, but I, I don't know. Maybe Jed has a surprise in store. We'll see. You, you mentioned something that we've had kind of a debate on this podcast, I feel like. Um, how do you feel about the Cubs acquiring maybe some big money type player, like say an Eric Hosmer, uh, during this trade deadline, if it, you know, maybe it comes with a prospect or something like that? Because I know some other people on this podcast aren't, aren't big fans of that. <laughs> Well, I, I guess it depends on how much money you have to work with, too. And I hope that they have a lot more than we're aware, for one. Um, but I am generally in favor of acquiring a prospect. Uh, you know, I, like as long as it's like a, what, like, a, what, like Robert Hassel or some of those top ones that have been mentioned. Um, it, like it's not my money. <laughs> and uh, adding another good prospect or two, I think, would be great. But, yeah, I mean, it all depends on how much of your – resources available are going to that I guess and what else you're going to do aside from it you know like there's just so many layers to it that we don't know but uh if the Cubs want to buy Eric Hosmer and take or you know get a great prospect I I am for that personally well kind of building off that too uh, we're all expecting that the Cubs are sellers here right they're going to be moving on from Wilson most of these guys are going to be guys that they're selling to other teams you get to the report yesterday that apparently the Marlins it's like an open door down there yep. at the Lone Depot Park like yeah. can you also Tigers envision, too yeah or the Tigers as well yeah can you envision a scenario here where yes the Cubs are obviously selling but maybe they're also looking to acquire somebody who may be under control for next year or beyond like do you see that factoring in here at all I absolutely think that that should be under consideration. I think I was talking about that with Brett Taylor on Twitter yesterday, actually. Um, like, I think if, like, it all depends on if the price is much higher now than it would be like over the winter, because these next two months are meaningless to the Cubs. You know what I mean? So you, you can't pay a price that reflects that extra time. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. if, you, if it's more expensive for such a player that would be over the winter, there's not really a sense in them doing it unless they're competing with a team like if a contender is going after like i suggested trevor rogers on the marlins as a buy low pitcher that's a guy who was great last year he's 
been bad this year, but I've watched him a few times and I think it's been fluky bad. Like hmm. that's the kind of thing where if you, this is, this is another big thing with it is if, if you trust your pitching infrastructure and like all these new people in the building and your pitch lab and the, the R and D stuff and all the, all the nerdy data and all that, like if you trust all those people to get more out of the arms now, maybe you take a shot at some of those pitchers that are struggling that have good stuff and everything. And like, yeah, I think that Trevor Rogers and, Pablo Lopez, even on the Marlins or like a couple of the Tigers young arms, like the Cubs, in my opinion, should be absolutely interested in those guys right now. Like, I think that I, I try to tell this to people too, that the prospects are not just for the Cubs. The Cubs prospects are not yeah. just for the Cubs. These are not just for like future Cubs. These are guys that are hopefully trading for good stuff down the road. Like that's the whole, that's a huge, huge reason of stockpiling it. You know, obviously it would be great if you could use it for like a Juan Soto or something too, but yeah. um, there's going to be really good players that come along that you are going to be able to use these prospects for instead of having to outbid somebody in free agency. With news of the Tigers apparently being willing to listen on anyone. Do they have anyone in the middle infield? Uh, maybe, maybe anyone at shortstop who you think might be a good fit for the Cubs going forward. <laughs> I've talked with a couple of people about that idea too. Like even before that report came out, like I, I honestly think that that would be something I would listen to in a non like meatball-y fan way. Like I think that Javi will be better than he's been. Um, and I think that the guy honestly just likes having fun and playing in front of a, like a real atmosphere, like nothing against the Tigers. <laughs> um, but like, there's the human element side of things where I think Javi Baez like thrives playing at Wrigley field and in front of a, a packed crowd and everything. And um, I would absolutely take him and I would take the risk with it. I, Cause I think that like, for one, his glove is going to be really good for a while, whether that's shortstop, second base or third base. I mean, imagine like, Imagine an infield with like Baez at third, Nico at short, and like Chris Morrell at second base. You know what I mean? Like 2016, the best thing about that team was the defense and the ground ball efficiency. And people don't talk about that nearly enough, in my opinion. Like everybody focuses on the stars and this and that. But I mean, that defense just was suffocating and ate up everything. And it made like Kyle Hendricks had like a 213 ERA or something. Like I think he was really good but he probably wasn't too ERA good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the defense made him and John Lester and Jake Arrieta look so, so much better. And I mean, like I'm a huge, huge defensive guy. So I would live with a Javi Baez in the bat back question marks and be like, let's just load up a great infield and eat up ground balls. <laughs> yeah. I, I always thought that Javi would be, I mean, he was an amazing second base or excuse me shortstop but when they had him at third i thought he'd be like an all world for brooks robinson type um but you mentioned uh juan soto do you think i mean i don't know if the cubs have the talent but do you think that's something that they should be trying to think about because i've seen people both ways saying the cubs should be getting in on this and people saying well it doesn't really make sense for the cubs so i'm curious what your opinion is is that something the cubs should be you know thinking about juan soto uh, i think they should absolutely be calling and like making a fair offer or you know at least checking in um but I think that's a really layered situation where it makes a lot more sense if you're a contender right now and you're putting to use these two and a half years that he has left or whatever. Cause I mean, it's very possible. This is his prime. Like the guy's defense and base running have been kind of taking a little bit of a hit. I think he's going to be an elite hitter for a while, but I'm just saying that a lot of the greats now peak really early. I mean, Mike Trout even did Mookie Betts did Chris Bryant did Bryce Harper did like, they're still all damn good. But when you're talking about like paying for what you expect to have, you know, that was prime years. Um, so I think for the contenders, it does make more sense. And also some of the teams like the Dodgers, the Dodgers like have like Gavin Lux batting knife and then like, you know what I mean? They don't even have anything to do with some of these guys. Whereas I don't know if the Cubs can afford, like Nico Horner has a higher war right now than Juan Soto. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that Nico is a better player than Juan Soto or that that's going to keep up, but I don't really know if the Cubs can afford to trade the prospects and that and $500 million and probably not win a title with them in the next two years. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that there's a lot to consider. Um, having said that, like if he ended up on the team, I would be like, holy crap, we have Juan Soto, who cares? So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think it does make a lot more sense for the current contenders and the juggernauts that just have like too many good players that they know what to deal with. Like, I think the Cubs, I'm hopeful that the Cubs in one or two years would be in the same spot. But then the other side of that is you're not going to probably get a chance for a player like that in those yeah. years. So it's like, I'm sitting here debating with myself as we're talking. Like, 
I just think that there's a lot to consider and Jed Hoyer should absolutely at least be like, all right, what would it take or how close am I? Or you know what I mean? Like he would be really stubborn not to in my opinion. Yeah. Well, one thing I don't like is all the growing smoke around Soto to St. Louis. That's the, not something oh, that I want to see no. ever happen in my life. And you just, boy, there's more days kind of go by here. It's like, man, this might actually be happening. Uh, not a thought though, that I really want to entertain right now. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on the draft in a minute. We are running short on time here, but uh, second half of the year. So we're going to get through the trade deadline early next week. Second half of this season, what are you looking forward to with the big league Cubs and how high on that list is Nico Horner? Oh, well, first of all, I am like, Nico is just awesome. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of mad, honestly, that he's not getting more recognition around the league. Like he probably doesn't care, but the guy's been the best player on the team this year. And I don't think that like 99% of the baseball world knows that, you know what I mean? Cause they literally just had two other all-stars. That's nothing against Wilson Contreras or Ian Happ would have been great, but Nico's even been like a top 20 position player in baseball right now. Um, and he should, he should win the gold glove. He's been worth like 10 plus defensive run save last I checked. And um, like so much about his game too, is that like, he's just a different player in this era. Like he's the kind of guy that you actually love having up and with runners in scoring position. And I mean, he's done that like twice in the last week to win games, right? Something like that. Uh, and he's just a totally different profile than pitchers are used to facing. Um, so yeah, I think he's pretty legit and I love the power he's adding. Yeah. Um, aside from him, obviously Christopher Morrell, like, yeah. is he this good? Is If he's even close to this good, like, holy crap, that's a huge steal. Um, and then obviously Suzuki, who's been awesome since returning from the IL. He's really been, he was awful in May, but I think that was just like an adjustment period and he's adjusted back. And I really think that Seiya Suzuki uh, may be like everything that we hoped. I, I'm hopeful of that anyways. Um, and then you just want to see the young arms, I think, continue to show more too, with like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, keep it up. Uh, will they have innings limits? That's another thing. I don't know. Like, are they going to be pitching in September? That's also like, that goes back to even this deadline. Maybe they feel like they want to keep a Wade Miley or something if they need those innings. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you want to see those guys do well. Nelson Velasquez is a huge one. Is he somebody that you think can at least be a platoon bat next year, maybe even a starter. Like this is going to be a huge opportunity for him. And um, I think we're going to see Caleb Killian back in the next couple of weeks too. And he is another huge one because if he shows well the next month and a half, he might be in the starting rotation in spring training. If his yips, they're not yips, I shouldn't say that. If his yipsy ways, the command ways show up again, then you're like, okay, this is someone we probably can't count on yet where we're going to have to have more depth and reevaluate re it next spring. So there are some like big time jobs that can be won just over these next two months. And I honestly think it's going to be a lot of fun because these are all really talented players. And it's going to be nice watching these games. Honestly, it's going to suck that Contreras and company are gone, but it's also going to be nice to be able to just watch the young players and not worry about, okay, who's going to be leaving next week or, you know what I mean? Where you can just sit back and yeah. watch the team. Yeah, just enjoy it. Uh, another guy that we're excited about here, Cam Sanders. We are ready for a Sanders back in a Cubs uniform. That's something that uh, personally we're just very excited about here on this podcast. Representation uh, matters. Absolutely. Uh, Sanders on the mound. That's good vibes at Wrigley Field moving forward. Uh, the draft, though, right? Like this year, mm -hmm. first round in particular, everybody's saying, look at all of these hitters that are ready to go. Cubs go pitching heavy in the draft this year. It's going to take years for the dust to settle and for us to kind of determine whether this was a good draft or a bad draft or wherever it falls in between. But a week or so in here, what do you think about what Jed and the team was doing here with uh, this draft class? Well, first of all, I was shocked. Uh, I thought that they were going to take, you know, Cam Collier or Brooks Lee or Zach Neto or like Drew Gilbert or one of those position players, basically. Um, so when a pitcher came up I had to do like a what like I was just I was shocked um and I, at first I wasn't sure how to feel but I got like the more I read up on it and the more uh you know I, I, I talked myself into it more for sure and that's just the first pick though then once you see the whole draft collectively I think it makes a lot more sense um because they got a lot of upside a volume of pitching upside uh and it's it goes back to what I was talking about earlier like 
they have so much depth now that I think you want to take some uh, risk reward chances. And I think that's what they did up and down the draft and drafting Horton also allowed them to draft Jackson Ferris in the second round. And he's a guy that like, he could have been a first round pick, you know? Um, I don't know if, have they signed him yet? It's getting, it's not officially no. Not officially yet. Okay. But um, the hope is that taking Horton allows you to also do that. And then like uh, Nazir Mule and then uh, like some of these other, that, that guy's really fun, like a two-way talent. Um, up and down, I really, really like their just upside, high velocity arms where you're just kind of hoping that a couple of them turn into a thing. You know what I mean? Like the thing is that they're all like potential, like if it came together for some of these guys, you might have a frontline starter. That's the thing is that's what you're trying to find. Um, because that's currently what they lack. While we hope that like Thompson or Steele or something could be that, you're you're just looking for more ace types and hopefully falling into one from this draft. So, yeah, I I, I generally like what they did in the end. And Horton is just a really high upside pitcher with a vicious slider. And um, another thing with it, you kind of went back to this too, where we don't we won't know this for a few years, but they're like, they're putting their asses out there with this one where <laughs> they're trusting their pitching infrastructure. Yeah, they're yeah. trusting Carter Hawkins. They're trusting Craig Breslow. They're trusting their like R and D and nerdy, you know, guys and everything. Like they're saying, okay, we believe now we can develop pitchers. So we're going to go out and do it. So if three or four years from now, uh, it looks like it did for the last decade before Thompson and Steele, you're going to be like, okay, that didn't work. And maybe some heads should roll. So I at least respect that the confidence that they're showing in this and they clearly believe they can develop these guys. Yeah, no, that's great. It, it's, uh, it's been very interesting. We've been talking about it on this podcast, like the last rebuild a decade ago culminated with the world series championship, but hmm. then the gears sort of after that, there were, there were cracks in the foundation, right? Like there weren't, there weren't getting that next line of, uh, minor league prospects coming up and working. So we've seen a significant overhaul of the front office. This is not at all the same organization when Thea was getting started a decade ago. Um, so it's kind of neat to see them going all in on that. Like we're excited about what they're doing. They're obviously buying into it as well. And and if that can pay off and we get this pipeline, especially of world-class pitching coming through the Cubs farm system, that's going to be really exciting over the next decade. Yeah. And that is probably the most underrated thing about the Dodgers to me is they constantly have waves and waves of arms. Like they just don't even know what to do with guys like Dustin Mayer. Tony Gonzalez was like, you know, like a swing man for them for a while. And now he's like in the Cy Young conversation. You know what I mean? Like they, they just don't even have room for all these dudes or like David Price. They don't know what to do with him. Like that's what you want is that kind of depth um, because the injuries happen, disappointments happen. But when you have like, eight, nine capable guys, they can either go in the bullpen or they can be there when injuries inevitably happen. So it's great. Like that's honestly, like it's right to direct blame at the Ricketts and -and so-and-so, but the pitching development was probably the lack of it, like got us into this position. You know what I mean? Like that was the main thing that led to so much stuff that led to the Jose Quintana trade that led to having to do so many things because you couldn't develop it yourself. Like, I'm all for them going out and getting good players like that, but they had to be more desperate than you'd like to be because they couldn't develop them themselves. And to tie back to what we've been talking about a lot of the time, where not all of these prospects that we're talking about are for the Cubs. The Dodgers brought up Josiah Gray for a a short showcase last season. And then almost immediately they traded him to Washington as part of the deal that brought Scherzer over. So and Trey Turner and Trey Turner. Right. (laughs) So that, that, ties into what we've been talking about this entire time. Your farm system isn't just there to supplement your major league roster. You're also Mm -hmm. turning these guys into chips that you can push in for major deals. And to talk about what the Dodgers are doing right, that's one of the things that they've done right, is take these prospects and turn them into the trades that continue to make them better year after year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like they spend more money than everybody too, which obviously you want, but so much of it has been their own player development. And that's so huge. Well, Matt, man, we really wanted your take here on all of this. I said it at the top of the interview, and I just want to reinforce it. If you're a Cubs fan and you're doing the Twitter thing, this is a must follow. And the two accounts there, at the blog finds, the B-L-O-G finds, F-I-N-E-S. Also the main account, Matt, M-A-T-T-2, 
clap, C-L-A-P-P. Um, but before we let you go, we got to talk Bears for a minute. You also got a Bears account <laughs> at the Bears Nesses. Jeremy's yeah. the Bears season ticket holder here. Uh, I'm That's Mr. Good. Pessimistic with all things Bears. <laughs> like the organization's trash. I'm, you know, <laughs> poo-pooing this dome on the lakefront. That's not happening. The Bears are going to no. Arlington Heights. Uh, Bears this fall, right? It's going to be awful, right? Or am I just being uh, a sourpuss here? Uh, well, so to not be awful, it probably requires Justin Fields just being awesome. Yeah. Uh, because he's going to have to cover up a lot of issues. And uh, it just frustrates me that we didn't do more to put him in position to succeed. I, I like that the offensive line moves that they finally made. That's they actually have like a like an acceptable yeah. maybe offensive line. Um, not still not good, but not like pathetic. Uh, and then the wide receivers, like uh, I mean, they just basically went bargain bin shopping like crazy. And I like Jones a lot, but he's a twenty five year old rookie. Like I just right. I think they should have done more there and. Uh, like I said, I hope that Justin Fields' talent just transcends all of it and carries them because it's a league where if your quarterback is that good, hey, maybe who knows, maybe you can uh, overcome it. But they have a lot of issues. And, yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure. What do, what do uh, Jeremy and Randall think? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, go ahead, Randall. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I like to think that we'll be able to watch Justin Fields ball out all season and maybe we still will i don't think it's going to amount to a particularly competitive team still i feel like there's going to be a lot of games where we say wow justin fields he was great tonight in the defense well justin fields he sure was great tonight <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm not overly optimistic but you you said it it's a quarterback league and if justin fields takes that next step and the o-line keeps him upright and maybe one or two of these you know, wide receivers, quantity over quality, maybe yeah. if one or two of them step up, they might be uh, a, a fun offense or at least a more fun offense after years of watching Nagy uh, do his thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm excited to watch Justin Fields because who wouldn't be excited to watch Justin Fields? The team as a whole, I'm less excited to see. I'm just intrigued by uh, Ronan saying he's the the main pessimist or whatever. When last last season he was the one every week picking the Bears to win every oh, single yeah. week. Whether I was like, they're not beating Cleveland, they're not beating Oakland. I didn't know they beat Oakland every week. You're picking them to win. They broke my heart. A, are you at least a Justin Fields guy? Or are you yeah, I'm. Like, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful on Fields. I last year I was kind of like, you know, he. I thought I, I wasn't super impressed though. He had his moments like the second half of Pittsburgh. There were some games like, okay, that's a Justin Fields, but it was hard to tell because nothing was really scripted for him by Nagy and, and the offensive line was so bad. He was running for his life. So it was hard to tell. I I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I do like, it looks like they cleaned up his mechanics a bit and that was a big word yeah. I had. So I'm, I'm hopeful. That's what I'm going to say. I'm hopeful on mm -hmm. Justin Fields. It's just organizational rot. Right. Yeah. And it's top to bottom. And I'm what I what really am is I'm pissed off that as a 35 year old, I've seen one conference championship, two conference final appearances, and that's it. Right. It's been awful. Yeah. It's been terrible. And um, I'm in Denver now where, you know, the Broncos who have been bad the last couple of years, but they still go out and get world-class players and there's excitement around their franchise all the time. I don't like Broncos fans and I'm surrounded by them all the time. <laughs> I, right? I lived there during the Jay Cutler era and I thought <laughs> oh, it was going to be a lot more fun than it was. So it started out like, Hey, we got your quarterback. And then uh, yeah. I was pretty miserable for a lot. I, I remember the Marion Barber game. I didn't go to it. Oh, I was God. watching it at my mm -hmm. place. I, I basically just locked myself in my house for like a week. I was like, <laughs> I cannot yeah. show my face in public after that. But the worst was the Tebow was on the other end of that, and that became Tebow mania. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But one more for you. Uh, what about the Rams up in Fort Collins? What do you think this fall? Uh, I like that they got actually a Jay Norvell, who's a fun head coach, after Steve Adazio, who's like the biggest clown show head coach <laughs> probably in college football. So, dudes. Yeah, exactly. Guys being dudes. So, uh, yeah, I think that they actually have like, I don't remember the program or like people around the program being this excited about it. And honestly, probably back to the Jim McElwain, maybe even Sonny Lubick days. So um, like they're, they're probably not going to be good for a couple of years, but they actually have a direction and they're going to be running the air raid offense now. Mm -hmm. and uh, Like it'll be like a fun brand of football at least. So we'll see. 
Well, I you know appreciate your fandom for uh, the, the Colorado State and um, the people sort of in my circle here are more the Boulder fans or the, the CU Buffs fans here. Uh, I really got to get to a game in Fort Collins. I've been to Folsom Field many times. Be nice to get up there though and see the new stadium. And uh, Fort Collins is an awesome town. Yeah, it's just a really cool there. place. Yeah, I go, I go up there for concerts. I'm, so I'm up there all the time for shows. And um, I camp west of there when I can up the Pooter. But uh, I haven't gotten to a football or basketball game there. And I missed an amazing basketball season too. Yeah. So I, I, I should have gotten on that. Too. Yeah, Moby yeah. Arena is really fun. And they have a great program going. I mean, they were a six seed in the tournament. So yeah, um, they got a lot of good stuff going there. And Fort Collins is just... Like it might be my favorite town in Colorado. I'm probably biased. Yes. I went to school there, but I really think it's great. Well, it's awesome. And uh, Jeremy's coming out here in the fall. We got Pearl Jam tickets at Ball Arena here in Denver and then nice. a free weekend. So we'll have to see if the schedules line up, maybe go up to Fort Collins or Boulder. Even Air Force would be a cool place, I think, to take in a football game. So it's we'll very cool. Get that. Their games yeah. are really cool there. I've been to several there, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's neat. And really, though, thank you for your time today. You were the first guy we were thinking of when we we're like, OK, who do we want to talk to about the trade deadline, about the draft? And um, Matt, really good stuff. So thank you again for your time tonight. And again, folks can find you on Twitter at the blog finds. Also find his work at the comeback and awful announcing. Uh, we'll have you back down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. We'll